So some big news and beautiful news in this homily today. But I want to be able to situate the news within the liturgy and with what we're hearing in the gospel. Firstly, in order to really enter into this, we have to understand what all of this talk and language and prophecy around Zebulun and Naphtali is. So Zebulun and Naphtali, those are the two northernmost tribes of Israel. They were the first ones to be taken into exile by the Assyrians. They were the first ones to be taken into exile, and they never returned. They never returned. So in the heart of a Jew at the time, the question would be this, Lord, are you faithful to your promises? You said that we would have a land, that we would be a people, but then they are taken away. Are you faithful to your promises? So the image of those first two tribes in the north, what is Galilee, were taken away. That's where we see the first experience of decay. The first experience of decay and hopelessness and despair arise in the heart of the people. So when Jesus, the Savior, appears in history, in time, as one of us, where does he show up first to start his work? He starts where the decay first happened. He starts where the decay first happened. He doesn't work from the symptoms backwards. He starts from the root, the first place of decay. So he starts in Galilee, land of Zebulun and Naphtali, Galilee of the Gentiles. And that's where he begins his ministry. And then we see him move to Capernaum from his hometown of Nazareth, move to Capernaum and begin bringing people to himself. So in this scene, in this scene with Peter and Andrew, James and John, we have to imagine, put ourselves in the place of what it was like to see this man look at you, to see you. Here are these guys in a normal experience of their day, of their work. This man appears unexpectedly, and he sees them. What would it have been like to be gazed upon by the Lord. All of your heart would have been known. You would have been seen, seen like you've never been seen before. In his eyes, you would have been taken directly into his heart, into his belonging. And being known and being seen is the experience of being loved, of really being loved. And it's the experience of being loved that makes that next part the following reasonable. To follow love is the most reasonable thing in our experience. It's unreasonable if we don't follow love, if we don't follow the thing that gives us life and vitality and goodness and stability. To follow love. But why did he take them? Why was it that Jesus just didn't go on his own for the rest of his time and just do the work himself. He's inviting these men, he's inviting these women later into his ministry, into his proclamation of his salvation that he wants to bring. Why would he include people? He desires co-workers or co-operators. He wants his work 
to be identified with the face of those people who follow him. He wants his presence, his fleshy presence, to be identified with their face. And for what purpose? What is his mission? What is Jesus' mission? Why did he come? We have to go back to that experience of Andrew and Peter and James and John. All of what they were hoping for was found in the face, in the presence of this man. All of what they lived, the goodness of what they experienced was fulfilled. Their desires for hope and joy and freedom were all fulfilled in the face and presence of this man. That's the experience of salvation. When our heart is answered in its fullness, that's called salvation. And only he can bring it. He wants that to continue. He wants to perpetuate that experience, and he wants it to come through the most surprising of places, through these ordinary people. These ordinary people. He's with them. His mission is to save. So how can we put his mission in one pithy statement? The mission of Jesus back then and now is the same mission is this, to make him known, to make him known, and to be known by him, to make him known, and to be known by him. But that mission needs an organized group of individuals that are brought together in his friendship and solidified in a very fleshy way in his friendship that they are able to activate his mission. Another word for that group of people that activates the mission of the Savior is called the church. The church. The church exists because it's the one thing that brings salvation to the world in the continuing way that Jesus did, that Jesus does. He's present in you and I working in us. So our reason for existence, our reason for being together is that we're brought together in this friendship with the Lord, being known by him to make him known. There is really no other reason why we're here. There's no other reason. No other reason. So in that experience of mission, to make him known, in this one place, in this one or two zip codes, we have to always return to our fundamental mission to make him known, to make sure that we're in alignment with that. And that if we're not, ask ourselves the questions, why? In a very kind way. In a very kind way, ask ourselves, why not? What I would like to propose that in our history, in Western Washington and at St. Anne's and in our region in general, that we have had maybe what I might call a mission creep. We all start an endeavor, and we have a reason for starting the endeavor, but at a certain point, we start to forget the reasons why we even started it, right? It's a normal experience of our humanity, and it's kind of fragility. And what replaces it? The interesting thing about what replaces the original mission and the true mission with something else Another mission is, oddly enough, good things. Good things can get us off our game a little bit. How do I mean? 
It's not the good things themselves. It's this experience of, I had something beautiful happen to me, and I want it to endure. I want it to endure. I want to maintain that experience. And what ends up happening is that we become afraid that what happened to us in the past is not going to happen. So we put all of our resource and our structure out of fear into maintaining something. And when we go into that second principle of maintaining something, we lose the original vision for why we exist. We lose the original vision for why we exist. So what Jesus is doing today, and really for the next four years, is going to be calling us to follow him into this place of newness of trust and returning in a very concrete way into his mission. Into his mission. To bring something new to the table. To bring something new into the world through his love. Before I go into that, I want to give you two experiences of people. First off, I had a friend of mine, his, his, parent, his mom and dad-in-law came up from Brazil for two months to help with the new baby. They don't speak any English. They only speak Portuguese. And they're walking around, and they notice that everybody is very polite and kind, but nobody seems to be happy, and they retreat into their isolation. And then the only time when he saw people that were happy and rooted and peaceful is when he went to a Catholic Mass. We forget that we are the only people in our culture, in our society, that is actually able to bring life to the world. We have forgotten the power of newness that we have and the capacity to form hearts into something new. We forget that. We forget that. Another experience, a parishioner here, she's not here, so I'm going to talk about her experience, thankfully. She went to the 5 p.m., so anyway, don't tell I said this. But what she said was that she has been struck, struck by something here. She, her home parish back in Michigan is in the middle of Detroit. She experienced the spirit and she experienced the unity of totally different people coming together in friendship with the Lord. And that's what formed her. She never thought that she would find that again. And she's finding it here at the parish at St. Anne's in a place where she did not expect it. She's experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit through his church to form and invite her heart into something new and beautiful. We have to remember these experiences. So what is the next step in returning to our mission? Returning to our mission. Some of us have known, but many of us don't. But over the course of this last year, the whole archdiocese, the whole collection of the church in western Washington has begun a strategic planning process. Why? Because with this awareness of what the true mission of Jesus for his, in his church is, we recognize that we have kind of slipped and creeped away from the original mission of Jesus, and we need to put ourselves in a posture 
a concrete posture of activating that mission again, of living out it, living it in its full fullness, in its full capacity. In order to enact the mission, we need to put ourselves in a new position structurally, strategically, in order to follow Christ the way Andrew and Peter, James and John were following him out of that love. And this initiative of all the churches in Western Washington is called Partners in the Gospel. Partners in the Gospel. You will be receiving an email around 5 p.m. tonight from Flocknote laying all of this out about what it is. But I want to break it down, the structural experience, the how, as it were, of the, of the why of the mission. What's going to happen? First off, partners in the gospel, this new structuring, this regrouping, reorienting towards the mission of Jesus is most likely going to affect St. Anne's. It's going to affect most parishes in the archdiocese. What's the effect? What's the effect? What the effect is, is this, is that most likely we are going to be grouped in what's called a parish family. We have different parishes around us that have different skills and gifts, just like we have different skills and gifts in our community. But these need to come together. They need to come together. They need to be activated in a coherent way, in a cohesive way, with full resources poured into that mission of all these gifts coming together. And that group of family, the family of parishes, are going to become one new parish in 2027. 2027. So how do we get there? First off, let's say we're in a family with four other churches, or five other churches, or two other churches, whatever it may be. There is no preconceived outcome about what that is going to look like in 2027. No preconceived outcome. That's why we need to focus on the mission now, because we need to be able to learn how to pray and discern with the Holy Spirit about how he wants to enact his mission in this geographic location. Mission dictates material. Mission dictates location. We need to orient ourselves around that mission. And the Holy Spirit wants to take all the good things, all the good things that we've experienced, and fulfill them, fulfill them. All the things that we experienced in the 80s, 70s, 90s, in the early 2000s, in the 50s and 60s, all throughout our hundred and some odd years as a parish, all the goodness that we've experienced is a promise of fulfillment. But we have to be able to put ourselves in our own posture of humility and begging. Lord, what do you want? How do you want to fulfill these? How do you want to fulfill these? So the last thing I want to say, I want to return to this image of Zebulun and Naphtali and the, and the disciples. What is that one thing? The yoke of the taskmaster, the stone on the shoulder that weighed us down, has been taken, will be taken away. What is that? What is that taskmaster? What is that yoke? Fear. Fear. That is what the Lord wants to take away. 
That's what the Lord wants to relieve us of. Relieve us of that burden. What the Lord is asking us as a church is to be obedient to beauty. Be obedient to promise. To be obedient to life. Not to be obedient to fear. We cannot be obedient to fear. And with this calling of Andrew and Peter, of James and John, what we're being asked is to allow ourselves to continually be loved by the Father through Jesus and the Spirit, and to recognize that to follow him in this new way is going to lead to even more life, to even more life. My friends, something new has been happening at St. Anne's. Something new has been happening in the Archdiocese of Seattle. We're being asked to walk together on a journey, an adventure. I would just invite us all to be able to pray into this, to be able to receive this with excitement, because there's even more newness on the horizon. There's even more newness in our future. And what the Lord wants us to do is to put down everything of what we've expected and to follow him into something even greater.